Hi there, I'm Cheryl Thibault with The Walk of Life, and I have with me Dr. Natalie Lavoie, and her chapter in our book is Strength, Determination, and Faith. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, and um, the start of your story, it says that you fell into an abyss of sadness, fear, and depression. You want to tell us how you got there? Yeah, I know that sounds really horrible, but so when you're in it, it kind of, that's the way it kind of comes across. It's like you're in this pit, right? People talk about the pit of despair. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, usually that happens when things happen over and over again, right? So you're, you're, in, you're already in a, in a place, and then you're kind of struggling to get out of it, and then something else happens, and then another thing happens, and again and again. So that's why I described it that way. Um, the chapter talks about um, three specific things that happened um, that kind of were like that one, two, three, you know, gut punch um, to kind of get you into this abyss. So I had been looking for a job. I had I have a, a, a job that I liked and I had, you know, I was had aspirations. I wanted to move up and I was looking for a particular job and I really liked the person that I would have been working with. And, you know, I get a phone call and I see her name come up. So you get all excited and then I don't get the job, right? Because that's like uh, that's like the the yeah. looming the gloom and doom that happens typically. It's like okay, yeah. so then you have that one disappointment, and you know the you feel bad. Balloon, and, the emotional yeah. balloon pop, and there it goes. Yeah, you're deflated. Exactly. So it's like you feel kind of deflated in that at that point. So that was one thing. But I still had a job, right? Okay. So I'm like, all right, what did I do wrong? Had you know what could I have done better? So of course you always blame yourself, and then you're kind of in this weird place about it even though, and everybody knew you were going, so then you're like a little, maybe even a little embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like, like only like the tip of the iceberg at that point. I think the following month, um, you know, you go back to work, you go back to your daily routines, et cetera. And then um, my mom passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was much more significant, right, than the first one. So, you know, that's something that you rest with for a long time and you wrestle with things and what could you have done better. So almost the first issue was like a, a precursor, if I, if you will, like kind of like preparing you for something else that was coming. And I would never have thought of it that way at the time. But it was just kind of like, yeah, we need you to deal with a little bit of this because something bigger is coming. Right. Um, and it was almost like a preparation. So then when my mom passed, that was um, a completely different and much bigger scenario. And the first issue just failed, you know, paled in comparison, obviously. And dealing with that and, you know, my family and all of the things. And there was transportation that had to be arranged, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it took me a long time as the eldest um, to actually grieve. Yeah. Because I had to be there for other people, and I had—I was always the one that organized things and made things work, and made sure everything got taken care of. So it took a long time once everyone else was taken care of to actually, you know, take care of myself. Um, and then right on the heels of that, and this is literally one month after the other. The following month to that, you know, just barely getting into the grieving process myself, then I was sick. Um, and um, there was um, there was rumblings of different things and nobody really wanted to tell me and um, going to different doctors and specialists, etc. And the um, concern was that it could have been a cancer um, and nobody really wanted to say that word out loud uh-huh. um, until I went to the final specialist says, look, I really have to, you know, go in, see what it is and then we'll figure it out from there. So that's 
that's t for me that was my abyss and i think people experience that all the time and we don't take the time to slow down and actually like it's almost like it builds into this momentum that's the, uh, maybe the opposite of a momentum it's sort of like a, <laughs> a dive um and what do you do you know right. the question becomes what do you do when you're there oh my God, so what did you do um well again a little bit at a time so um i have to kind of compartmentalize a little bit to kind of get out of each one i think the job part became so small in all of that and it became the fact that i hadn't taken a brand new job and trying to establish myself and sh show my skills and be on top of everything which would have been a big stressor would have been actually a bigger issue to try to deal with my mom's passing and then my own illness right. so it actually was a blessing in disguise and we say that all the time but we never really realize that there are those things that happen when mm. you're not supposed to be there you yeah. know yeah. it would have just added to the situation so yeah. that was the first part and then i had to forgive myself when it came to um a lot of things but particularly with my mom we did not have a great relationship towards the end um there were memories that i knew i remembered and she didn't um and that was hurtful for me because there were things that i always wanted to talk to her about yeah and even now i get a little choked up um that she would never be able we would never be able to discuss those things and kind of find out like what her thoughts was and you know acknowledge my hurt and i had to get past that and i had to say to myself you know i have to forgive her you know and i have to forgive myself for maybe harboring resentment that i didn't get closer to her mm -hmm. um, or or try to get past those things sooner um, so, so that we could have had a different relationship. How did you get past that with her? Did you did you find a mentor? Did you find counseling? Did you lock yourself in a room and just dig deep and cry? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many ways that that people. Hey, let me see. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. See, sounds about right. There were those times when you just like lock yourself in a room and and think to yourself like, what could I have done differently? Why am I still sitting with this? Like, what did I need? You know. And part of me was um it was that child wanting that acknowledgement and recognition from a mom you know who may who may not have been able to give it and i had to realize that even as an adult i still was waiting for that um from someone who needed help herself and had been through a lot and i realized that she had been through so much my mom had basically post-traumatic stress um in, in her entire life she had grown up in a war-torn country um, had survived um, through bombings and things like that and violence and political strife and come to a country that was not always, you know, uh, supportive, if you will, right. yeah. um, at a time that there was civil unrest. So her whole life was marked by those kinds of traumas. And I became thankful and appreciative that she had the wherewithal to bring me somewhere different and to, to be there and do the work that needed to be done to put her family somewhere else so that they didn't have to go through that. So that's where you kind of, the idea of legacy clicks, you know? She didn't want that legacy for her children and she put in the hard work to make that happen. And that's when I was able to let go and say, acknowledge the acknowledgement of who I was and who I was becoming and growing up and trying to do all these wonderful things, I owed her that, you know? 
she didn't have to say, I see you, I love you. I knew that because of right. all the things she had done to get me there. Right. So it was looking at it differently um, that made the difference. Um, and right. that's when it became like, oh, wow, you know, she's an amazing woman. She became my shero because look at all the things she had to do to just to be able to have a family and have them safe, which allowed me to then become who I am today. Right. So, There's that saying, um, how does it go when when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yes. And you just get a different perspective. Yeah. 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 So you were a single mom around that time. And I have a little note here that you ran an award-winning school. (laughs) Yes. So that's Um, a huge accomplishment. Yeah. I, I, again, the strength and determination part and the faith all come from my family. Right. So obviously with my mom and my dad having, you know, moved here and established themselves, raised a family, um, the strength is there. The idea of um, being able to get through just about anything, I never attributed to her in the past. I just was like, I was always this go-getter, you know, really hardworking. I had a very strong drive, but I, it just was like who I was, but I never looked back to see where it came from. And there's a really important um I guess an, an old adage, if you will, that comes from Swahili. The word is Sankofa. And Sankofa yeah. is about looking back to your ancestors to bring forward what's good. And mm-hmm. I think that's what was happening for me around that time to thinking about how do I want to be with my child, you know, um, and also how was my mother with me? Like, what have they given me that have, have enabled me to do these things? Yeah. Right. And then also, what do I want to impart on her going forward? So yeah. it's that same idea of looking back to go forward. And um, I love that because, yes, I did raise um, a daughter by myself and I did run a um, woodwing school, but not alone. You know, I was by myself, but not alone, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I have family that's very supportive. I had my sisters. Um, I have um, extended family. And then I also... Um, to build that because maybe as a as one of three and we're all doing our own thing you know we have networks I have I have a strong network of women that I call my sisters that I can call on so you find other people um, and they become part of your extended family so there's mm-hmm. many many people to call um, mm-hmm. the award-winning school same thing you know I worked with a team at the building and we did the application and we worked together and we 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 had an award-winning school that's fabulous. So there's a, a quote, and I believe it may have been from your mom, if I recall, it's always darkest before the dawn. Was that? Um, that's actually Thomas Fuller. It's oh, a well-known, okay. <laughs> it's a well-known quote. <laughs> well, she can't steal that one then. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's, it's, it's well-known also in, um, in, in the religion. We were raised Catholic and, um, there is always that there's a reason for every, you know, for everything that happens in your life, there's a reason for it. That's where you're supposed to be. That's what God has ordered your path. And Mm -hmm. my family was very um, religious, you know, went to church. My father spoke in the church and, um, you know, we did everything we were supposed to do. And so there's faith. There's a, there's the idea of faith and faith doesn't always have to mean religion. Um, Mm -hmm. It's having faith and growing up with, um, I talk about two kinds of faith, faith in God and faith in myself. And the faith in myself is about um, the the talk, the way you talk to yourself, your affirmations, your self-talk. What are you telling yourself and what are you able 
to do or not do based on how you set yourself up for your day. Um, so that's one level of faith, and that actually grows out of my mom's, you know, strength, my family's determination, and all that. And the other faith is faith in a higher power, um, whoever that is, or however that is for for each person. And what does that mean to you in terms of what do you have faith in, um, mm -hmm. and how does that how does that inform what you do on a regular basis? And are you being true to yourself and your values and things like that? So they're sort of intertwined. Yeah, you've kind of intertwined it here too with your faith, but your consistent commitment. So your your faith and also your commitment, what you're committed to, you need your faith to carry you through where you're going. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's what you're alluding to there. Uh, you say, keep moving in the direction of your dream, which is awesome. Uh, do you have a dream at the time or just a hope for a better tomorrow? there's a huge difference between having a dream that pulls you towards it to keep getting up every morning or just hoping tomorrow's going to be better. How do you feel about that? That's a great like juxtaposition because when you look at something that is a, a dream that sort of gets you out of bed is, is more in line with your drive, right? Your drive, your drive is your passion. Mm -hmm. So that's one way of looking at it. And then just a hope for better tomorrow is sort of almost like treading water and like hoping things will be better, but it doesn't have the same um, depth of purpose, if you will, in it. So I think people need to really think about that dream in a way that like big dreams, like what, where do you want to be? Like, where do you see yourself? Have a goal, because I think that provides the drive and um, your purpose in your purpose. Yeah. So it will get you moving towards, you know, a purpose. I think the other way is sort of like going through life and hoping everything's going to be okay. Um, that could also kind of be a very um, limiting in terms of what you, what your, you know, what your expectations are for yourself and your family and your future. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't really say much about what you want what you want. It's really more about a status quo, which yep. goes back to the book, right? <laughs> yep. And you say trust in your purpose. Now, how did you know what your purpose was? How did you discover, oh, that's what I've meant to do? When did that aha moment or that light bulb hit you to know what you were going to do? Because you've come from, from some hard times. So what pressed you to go on? I think early on, um, I remember thinking about becoming a teacher very early on. And it was... Um, couple of different experiences. I had teachers that I absolutely loved and wanted to be like, and, and those that I didn't, I wanted to be better than. Mm -hmm. And throughout my life, I've run into both types. So you have this wonderful person all the way back in elementary school that I remember was just nurturing and loving and, you know, really um, supportive. And it was in school, uh, we, we came from Haiti. So I actually didn't speak English initially oh. um, when I was in school. And there, were the, there was a teacher that my first, I think was my kindergarten teacher, actually, who just left me alone. She wasn't like overly like, okay, she's never, she doesn't speak up or whatever. She spoke to my parents often about it. I mean, I, I, I you know, I have big ears. I was, I was always listening in and what's mm -hmm. going on. And I think I understood the language much earlier than I actually spoke it because I was a bit of a perfectionist and I wanted to be able to speak well. So I wouldn't use it, you know, and she kind of knew that for some reason. She kind of knew. She's like, you know what? It's OK. She's very quiet, but she does her work. She's understanding. I can tell. And I read a lot. 
Um, and that's how my, my English got better so much faster. Right. And so there were teachers like that that I remember. And then other teachers that just wanted you to fall in line and do what they want. And I didn't want to be that kind of teacher because I didn't learn well with those people. I actually produced less. And I realized that kids are very unique in what works for them. You know, some kids might come to school and need that structure. And other kids might just need you to listen. Um, and so for me, depending on where you are in your life too, I think throughout your journey, your career in education, you need different things. Yeah. You might need that structure. Like, how do I study? I don't know. I've never done this before. And then you need that push to say, you need to go do this on your own. You right. Know? So yeah. understanding more developmentally how people move through life and what they need at different times and just being a really good listener because people will tell you what they need if you listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's amazing that you couldn't speak English and you're in ed- educational consulting now. <laughs> yeah. That's fabulous. Like that's a total flip. So you didn't get the job. Nope. <laughs> but you started two businesses. Yes. <laughs> so can we ask what the job was? The job was an assistant superintendency in a, in a district. So uh, it was a big job. It was a big job. It was a big job. And I realize now um, so many other things have happened that had I been in that job, um, it would have delayed those things for me, or maybe I would have changed direction altogether. Right. Um, and so it's a it's a happy accident, if you will, um, that I didn't get the job. And I have seen that superintendent, and um, she and I are actually very friendly. She respects my work. Um, and it was funny because I was so hurt. I don't know that she knows I was so hurt, but mm-hmm. I still feel like, you know what, there were bigger there were bigger things going on. You know, there were bigger political, there's a bigger political climate all the time that you're not aware of. You think it's about you and it really isn't most of the time. And I had to accept that too, that it really wasn't necessarily about my skill set or what I brought to the table or what I could offer them. It might've been more about constraints that she had. And that was the same thing that sort of had happened with my mom and understanding, you know, the situation with my mother was more about putting things in a different perspective. And the same thing happened looking at the job and saying, all right, maybe this is not really about me because I know what I bring to the table. So what could I have possibly done after beating myself up for so long over it? And then being able to say, well, you know what, I can let that go because maybe it really wasn't even about me at all. Um, And it turned out well for me anyway, you know, without having to get that job. So, yeah. There was definitely a bigger hand in that game than yours. Yes, exactly. Moving I like the way you said that. <laughs> a higher purpose for sure, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, so you are the CEO and founder of Zahara Crown Inc. Did yes. I say that correctly? That is correct. Yeah. An educational consulting company providing professional educational support to families, teachers and organizations. Can you share a bit of that with us? Sure. So um, I had always done a lot of um, mentoring uh, for teachers, future teachers, whether it be in universities or colleges. I had taught classes. I also was like the supervisor of of, uh, student teachers during their their internships. And the most significant piece for them was not necessarily being in the classroom and watching another teacher, but having these conversations afterwards about what's going on. Um, and and choices that they had to make as a teacher and watching a a seasoned teacher make choices and trying to understand why you would do this or not that. Um, So that was the interesting part because it always was about bringing that human element to the classroom, right? To understand why the teacher was making those choices, why the child might answer a certain way, 
um, noticing things about kids so that you can definitely, you know, support them, whether it be something negative where they're, um, you know, they're missing, you know, a meal or something. That's something you notice that might be like bothering you. And how do you, what do you do with that information? And where do you take it to support the child? Right. So, um, those were the kinds of experiences that I had had that I really had enjoyed working with people. And I'm an introvert, <laughs> maybe not so much, but <laughs> I would never have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, wow. So, so um, you not only did that, but I just have notes here. You're a army veteran. Yeah, I was army, in the army, Re- army reserves. I did that at the same time as I was, um, I was in college, and then uh, just after college, I did my training, and I was down in uh, Fort Sam and uh, Fort Bragg, and yeah. <laughs> How was that for you? What was life like in it was there? Very different. That was a very specific, um, a very specific thing, um, because it's so different. It's very structured, and it was almost the opposite because you were taking orders, you know, giving orders and taking orders, and mm-hmm. a very structured setting. And I found it. If I had not had a direction or a purpose in life, it kind of gave you one, and it was right. a very structured one. So there's something comforting about that, okay. you know. So yeah, I really enjoyed being there, and I'm I'm sort of glad that I'm no longer there and not, you know, not able to be pulled into service because that that can be very scary too. Yeah, well, good for you to experience that. So, as you said, you couldn't speak English. You have a master's degree. <laughs> from the Teachers College of Columbia. You have a doctorate of education from um, Hofstra University. God forgive me, I'm Canadian, so these are not common names. (laughs) You're the best-selling author of Love Letters to My Girls and Sisters Inspiring Sisters and Voices of the 21st Century. So I'm amazed from someone who didn't know the language that you have just done all this, I also see an executive producer of TEDx and presenter of numerous states in conferences that you've been presenting. Wow, that's incredible. Do you want to tell us about your books? Uh, Sure. Um, Voices of the 21st Century, um, just published in February. Um, That is another, you know, they're chapters in anthologies that I was invited to um, participate in. So I really had a good time doing that because it's, I sort of used it as sort of like, dipping my toe in the water of publishing and do I want to do my own book which I have thought about so it's kind of a bucket list item um so voices was a really good experience also because the network of women there um is wonderful an international international group I think they're actually based in um in Canada if I'm not mistaken oh um check them out The first one was Love Letters to My Girls, and that was the one that um, kind of got me started in writing about two years ago. And it's a an anthology of letters that Black women wrote to other Black women and girls to support and provide affirmations. And I said, that's kind of right oh. up my alley to support other people and yeah. as an educator, of course. So that was one that um, I wrote. So that first letter that I wrote was to my daughter. Um, so that's in that book and I kind of wanted to memorialize it so she'd have something that she could show you know to her kids in yeah. the future and that would kind of live on beyond me in a way and I think also as a way almost like a, a homage to my mom as well in a way that she maybe never got a chance to do that so but I do because of her 
So it kind of it kind of brings that whole thing full circle. Wow, that's awesome! <laughs> and uh, you're very active in nonprofit organizations. And uh, do you want to talk about that for a little minute? Yeah, many of the organizations that I work with, including uh, Malik Melody's uh, Sisterhood Incorporated, where I'm the president of the executive board, um, Women's Diversity Network, the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, um, we have common missions and common um, drives. So we're looking for the opportunity to build economic legacy um, wow. in communities of color. We're looking um, to support women in, the, in women's issues, you know, and that runs the gamut, of course. And um, a big component of all of those is youth development and providing uh, support services for our youth to do better. Um, so again, they, all of those things um, dovetail very nicely with my background in education. Um, more recently, I focused on financial literacy as um, a leg up to give people a leg up out of their um, financial difficulties, which kind of is a great time to do that with how COVID has sort of disrupted supply yeah. lines and things like that. And people have suffered with losing jobs and things like that. So we kind of help people build some financial literacy so they understand how to build wealth in the future and to build some sort of a legacy for their families. That's um, beautiful. So that's the direction that I'm kind of going in at this point. What a giver. You're such a giver. That's so beautiful. Um, is there anything else that you want to say? We're just about to wind down here. So is there any other things we haven't covered or anything you want to share with the audience? No, I think people um, people just need that positive, um, those affirmations. They need the self-talk that they use for themselves is important. And then find yourself a team that really supports you um, in what you're doing and, and is able to, even if they don't know like the actual uh, the, the gist or the, the big picture of what you're trying to do somebody that can say they're they're in your corner you know mm -hmm. every, every time you say oh you know what I think I want to do this they're like all right you know let me know what you need and we can work on that yeah. or just to be there to you know to kind of be your cheerleader yeah just a hand, you a hand if you can't up. be a cheerleader in your head at least you have a cheerleader you know yeah. that you can yeah. call up yeah a hand up instead of a handout is always exactly. the, the way to do well how can we reach you Dr. Nadley um I can be reached through my website. It's Zahara Crown Incorporated, uh, zaharacrown.com. It's Z-A-H-A-R-A -A -A, and the word crown, all one word, dot uh, com. Or um, that's also the Gmail address. So it's zaharacrown.gmail.com. Perfect. I'll also have your information on our website. So if people want to go to our website, they can um, find you there as well. So it's Cheryl signing off from the Walk of Life. And I just want to thank Dr. Natalie for being with us today. And um, bye for now. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you.